Here we go. My name's Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 560. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And I always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. It seems like it's been a while since we've been sitting in these chairs, because it has been. Well, we did a show that we split in half. We did a two-parter last two weeks ago. Eightfold Path. 558, 559. It was the Eightfold Path. If you didn't listen to it, it's kind of a deeper take on how we can navigate through our challenges. Well, and we focus specifically on screen time because so many people ask us about screen time. And, you know, how do I get my kids off the screens? How do I get my kid to come to dinner when he's playing Fortnite? How do I get my daughter to stop looking at social networking? It's bigger than an answer that Todd and I can give. So we used a a Buddhist uh, framework to talk through all the different things you need to consider uh, there's no absolutes, but it's an interesting process. And if you go through the process, something will be different. Mm. I don't know what it'll be, but the dynamics of that engagement will change. Yeah. And it's not necessarily a light podcast, like a silly, funny one, which we sometimes do. It's kind of like doing some work. If you really try to integrate what we te- what we talk about in the podcast, it's... Um... Well, I, I can't remember the quote that I kept using, but it was something about that people are really anxious to hear what we have to say about screen time. I said something about... I can't remember. I said it in a more articulate way, but they really want to hear what we have to say about screen time. And as soon as we give them what we call advice, which is similar to the eightfold path, they're like, no, thank you. That was the overt covert Overt thing. covert. Like they overtly want the advice and then the and they covertly we, deny it. The minute that we tell them it's about them or it's about us or me dealing with my daughter's screen time, then I don't, oh, Oh, actually, I don't want that advice. I just want you to tell me what to do. Exactly. And when Todd says that it's about us, not in a blaming way, it's not that it's our fault. It's that the shift is not going to happen with focusing on just your kid. The Mm -hmm. shift is going to happen with how you're seeing it, how you're experiencing it, how you're talking about it. It's, it's a whole like work in itself. And like Todd said, we focused on screen time, but you could use it for anything. Yes, the it doesn't time. matter. Okay. Um, before we go into the um, main focus of the podcast today, um, I want to say two things. We have Zen Talk number 99 today. Oh, nine times. Nine times. Uh-huh. Uh, 98 was two weeks ago, and what we covered was uh, friends not meeting expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to school and unmotivated teenage sons. And that's for, this is a Zen talk. We do this thing called Team Zen, where it's a live podcast where we all get on together. There's about a hundred people on the team, but usually on any particular Zen talk, there's around 15 to 20 of us. And mm-hmm. then you can listen afterwards, um, or watch the video we recorded as well. It gets downloaded to your podcast app. That's right. Um, and then, uh, don't forget Tribe Men's Group this Wednesday at 7.30. Any guys out there that want to, Get connected with other guys who, um, you know, give and get support. Go to tribemensgroup.org. So today we are talking about back to school. 2020 school year. Teacher needs to see me after school. What's that from? It's hot for teacher, but I don't think that's the right song for this time. It's more like a brick in the wall or something. All in all, it just a. Let's talk about songs that are from school real quick. I should pull it up. Okay. Just off the top of my head. Um, another break in the wall, part one, part two, and part three. Oh, gosh. Don't forget about that. All right, I won't. Uh, Hot for Teacher. Uh huh. Um, Which is inappropriate. Three o'clock high. Is that a movie or a song? I don't know. I think, I think it's a song. Oh, no, I think it's a movie. School's out for summer. It's Al- Alice Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, 
School days, school days. Oh my gosh, she used to sing that all the time. My mom used to sing that to me when I was a little kid. It's a made up song. She would wake me up in the morning, say school days, school days. Okay, so before the end, when I'm talking and you have nothing to do, or you're listening to me, of course, <laughs> but you have a moment where I'm just rambling on, just look up songs about school. So we're actually going to get more serious about it, though, now. Um, talking about the 2020 school year, I would say this is probably the most requested um, you know, topic that we've had in a long time. Screen time has always been requested, and lately we've been getting lots of emails about, will you please talk about this school year? So um, so let's do that. Um, yes. I want to talk about it in uh, like I mean, three different points, okay? Three different points that have a lot of points underneath. I want to talk about ambiguous loss. That's the first thing. Ambiguous I want ambiguous loss. I want to talk about uh respectful and reflective discourse and dignity. That's all in one. And then the last thing we're going to talk about is um specific things that teachers have asked us or talked to us about in regards to what people don't understand. And I'm also going to share my own um thoughts because I am also a teacher and have been a teacher. And my parents were teachers. My niece is a teacher. My aunt was a principal. To say that I have Sweetie, been, you are, um, it's all in the family. It's like our life. So um, I, this is something that I know not only firsthand, but, you know, generationally know in many different ways. So ambiguous loss, ambiguous loss, respectful discourse, and dignity. What teachers want us to know. Correct. All right. Okay. What order? I'm going to start with ambiguous loss. So what's been interesting is at this time, um, with all the things that we're experiencing with the pandemic and uncertainty, um, I'm also personally going through a shift with my mom because she um, has dementia and it's been more difficult in the last three weeks. Um, and just like my sister and I were uh, supporting my dad as he was struggling with his physical issues, my sister and I are supporting my mom. So we've had to learn a lot about dementia. And I know a lot of you already know things and um, people have sent me, you know, people on Team Zen have sent me some information and I appreciate that. And I'm learning. One of the things that I have learned, like as far as the loss of dementia is that you, it's not an automatic loss. You know, when somebody dies and you have to deal with that yes. experience and you have to figure out how to grieve it and you're like, okay, I'm past it, but now I'm experiencing all this, these after effects. Well, dementia is like a slow moving thing where there's constant loss that kind of is never over. Incremental. Correct. And it's a lot of back and forth and it, it you know, ambiguous loss is kind of the best terminology. Mm. That's what's happening right now to all of us with the school year. Okay. We're having ambiguous loss. Mm, and a lot and there's a doctor, her name is Dr. Pauline Boss, and she's the one who really talks about this. I'm reading her book. You know, ambiguous loss can be, you know, centered around immigration, addiction, divorce, or aging parents like like I'm experiencing. Um, and sometimes it's about more catastrophic things such as war or genocide or slavery or the Holocaust, natural disasters, catastrophic illnesses, head injuries, things that like don't just happen and then are over. Mm -hmm. There are things that are ongoing that you are feeling the hits of loss mm. over and over again. And there often isn't like an absolute ending. And there are sometimes different, like you think, you know, what loss is going to happen next. And it's a curveball. like, correct. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're grieving this today 
in terms of the school year, like, oh, my kid's not going to be able to play volleyball. And now all of a sudden my kid's going to have to go to school or not going to have to go to school. And then it's the social thing with the friends. Like there's all these layers to what it is that we, and actually our kids are going through. And we are too. Our kids are going through it, but by definition we are too, because we are their caregivers. Right. And Mm -hmm. we, and, and, you know, ambiguous, what, you know, synonyms, uncertain, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of hazy, um, confusing, ongoing. It's just like we sometimes, and, and I, you know, like I was just saying about taking care of my dad, my dad had an illness that lasted over 17 years and talk about ambiguous loss. Like you're constantly losing things. You gain things occasionally, but you know where we're going where, and we're all going in that direction, but it's this constant fear of should I be doing more? What's going on? Who should I blame? Should I be upset? Should I be? It's like a very uncertain place. What I will say about that personal experience that I've had and also being a therapist who works with people who go through ambiguous loss is it is a practice is that if you have had the experience before, you have kind of a sense of how it's never easy. It's not about, oh, I can manage this, but you're like, I mean, it's something I've been saying to Todd for the last three weeks that we've been going through this is this is familiar to me. Mm. And that sometimes makes it, if it be the school year, the pandemic, what my mom is going through, that ambiguous loss, I have a familiar place in my body because I had to do it for right. so long. And and so many of you have, and so many of you are going through it obviously right now. We all, we, we all are. Let's, mm. let's just be real, right? Aren't we all going through ambiguous loss right now with the pandemic? Yeah. We don't know, you know. We don't know what's next. We don't know what to expect. We don't, we have so much uncertainty. Are we going to be fine in January with the vaccine? Do we have another year? Is it 2022? Will our kids be back in school? Will my kid go to college? Um, will I be able to go to a restaurant in the winter? Like we don't know. Right. And it's super uncomfortable. So basically ambiguous, you know, losses, they can't be resolved, but they can be acknowledged which is kind of in itself can be healthy. Sure. Like, let's just call it what it is. Just having this language, right? Yeah. I didn't know what you're talking about, but now I, I get it and I see how it could be helpful. Right. It's it's one of the quotes from Dr. Boss is, it's not easy, but an untenable situation can be maintained indefinitely. It's not easy, but we can do it. Like most of us, we can't stand the not knowing. Yeah. We got to know. We got to know. Our ego wants certainty. And we in this situation our practice is going to be maintaining the indefiniteness of this experience can you be at peace with the chaos correct can you be at peace with the uncertainty of the situation and most of us love control and i'm raising my yes. hand right now i love control i can tell you oh yeah my kids are going to be in this school this amount of time and they're going to do these sports and we simply don't have those answers so can we lean into this weirdly uncomfortable place? And the other thing, and maybe we'll get to this, I was going to say, is I know everybody's in a, in a different situation and at a different depth regarding school, but I just want to invite everybody to keep it in perspective. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is, you know, you have a mom who is suffering from dementia right now. Like that has taken a lot of your energy, mm-hmm. probably in place of energy that you otherwise would have spent on school, or maybe you wouldn't have, I don't know. Right. My point is, and I don't know if this is going to land well, but 
throw an illness into the equation of the family, this school thing isn't nearly as important. Yeah. Well, you know, Todd and I were, something we were discussing, um, in no way, and I'm speaking for you, but you're not telling people how to feel. What we're practicing here is perspective taking and reframing is that we, because we like control, when something's not going right, we just get completely laser focused on it. We focus on who's to blame and what do I do and how are we going to manage this? And what I feel like this last year has taught me is how, (laughs) it makes me laugh, how we have to constantly expand. I thought after the 2016 election, my dad was failing pretty significantly then, you know, the election happened. I thought, oh, this is more than I could ever manage. This is the worst. This is the worst. You know, it's when I started therapy again. I was just really like, wow. Well, since then, there's been so many things that we as a society have been asked to hold, deal with, and live inside that I have expanded. And when I say expanded, I'm not talking about like, oh, I'm more spiritually aware. We've had no choice. You're saying your capacity to deal with things Correct. has expanded. has expanded. And there is, in that sense, gives knowing that and having a trust in that gives me some foundation is I know that when I think I have no capacity to expand, I do. Mm -hmm. And that's never ending because of what you just said about sometimes something else gets thrown out there and you have to deal with it. You just have to deal with it. We just finished a series on Apple TV called Uh Defending Jacob. (laughs) And it's a drama and it's it's not based on a book. Mm -hmm. Is it a real story or no? Mm -mm. So it's a horrific story. Uh And it's funny, like, I almost took pleasure in seeing these fake people have to deal with something worse than us. Something worse. Because yeah. I'm like, you know, yes, we have, I have a sick mother in law. We have kids who are, you know, Strip. pulling their yeah. hair out. Uh-huh. And then I look at these fake people on this TV. I'm like, God, I'm glad I'm not them. Right. We can, and that is, it's, it's not, you know, it, it's not about being like, I want to feel sorry for other people. What these things do is they give us a reframe yeah. where we're like, okay, this is super uncomfortable, but can I live inside of this perspective of I have room to expand? Like, okay, let me let me talk about it this way because we don't have – a lot of us don't have tolerance for you know the stress of ambiguity. So – what ambiguity is, is holding two opposing views at the same time, right? And we we talk about this on the show all the time, paradox, mm-hmm. right? Two things can be true at once. And ambiguity is about being able to hold those two views. So, for example, there will be school and there won't be school. Yeah. So there will be some kind of school, but it's not going to be the school everyone knew. Right. But can both of those things be true rather than it has to be exactly the way it was before? There, It's going to be different, okay? Um there, you know, my kid will miss some things. Absolutely. That's true. And that's something to grieve. But my kid will get other things. And my kid will be just fine. Right. And and that makes us scared because we're like, but do you know that for certain? No, but I also don't know anything for certain. Right. Like we don't know when we walk out the door what we know for certain. But um, I need to readjust, which is a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. Readjustment is pain. But maybe the readjustment was necessary in the bigger picture. Yeah. And I don't know. Do I know that for sure? No. But could that, could both things be true? Could this be painful, this readjustment? And could it be necessary in the long run? Could it be pushing us towards something greater? Maybe. I am both sad and angry about this and kind of interested and excited about what this could be. 
Could both of those things be true? And this is what ambiguity teaches us to do is it decreases the stress by thinking it's just one or the other. Like, you know, I'm not a big fan of people will say when people say, well, because this is kind of the spiritual bypassing. Well, if it's happening, it's happening and it must be for the greater good, period. It is what it is, sweetie. It is what it is. Now, while that's true, we, we also have to make room for the part that hurts, which is the loss and the uncertainty. So, you know, ambiguous loss is holding space for the both and, not mm-hmm. the either or. Either or is either my kids are going back to school exactly the way they did before or everyone has failed. Mm-hmm. There's something in between that we need to, you know, to have some to have some reframe, some sense of understanding, some practice of looking at. Well, and what I like about what you just said more than anything is like, you know, let's grieve the loss of my kid who's a senior in high school is not going to have a normal senior year. Yes, yes. But at the same time, you talked about um, the excitement. Yeah. And people are like, why is that exciting? Like, we can look at this with excitement. Do you want me to read a few things? We can look at this with curiosity, with joy. Right. Like what good can come out of this? Right. Doesn't mean it's all going to be good, no. but can we find the good while not ignoring the bad either? Correct. And that's hard for people, Todd, because people just like thing. People love either or because that's certainty. Well, that's the way our brain is mechanized. It, it is, Black but and white. it also has the capacity, prefrontal cortex cortex to rationalize and to look at everything right so the reptilian brain is black and white and the prefrontal cortex is like let's see the nuance nuance here so what if our kids because of this experience have more empathy more family connection possibly more creative what if they've gotten into a book series or learned how to express themselves in writing all possibilities i'm not and people are probably like oh but is it possible what if they have learned to enjoy simple things like the garden or being near the window or you know, noticing the birds or watching the flowers. I mean, these are things I can't speak to my kids, but I have, like, I have taken a great love in getting up and looking at my birds out the window, watching my tree. I now, I got my mom's fish because um, she didn't want, you know, she couldn't take care of it anymore. So now I have a fish and I have my caterpillars that are growing and my bunny. And these are things that maybe just used to be kind of like, oh, I got to feed these things. Mm-hmm. I live for these things now. Like the simple things have become really important things. What if this generation are the ones that learn how to cook and organize their space and do their laundry and figure out how to just take care of their everyday experience? And handle their money better. What if they've learned to enjoy their bike again, which our kids have, um, play board games, do crafts, bake, climb a tree Um, What if they've learned to understand the value of money and what's most important? What if they've learned the value of eating together? What if they've learned to just be? Yeah, I was going to say, what if if they learned how to sit in boredom and see it as a good thing? What if they've learned how to place uh, value on teachers and education and librarians and public servants and essential workers? What if they've now get that Mm. so intensely, but by, by the time that they are in charge of government, they will never let those people be treated poorly again? Right. What if... The, our great leader that we have always been looking for, and some of us feel like we've had them along the way, but is merging out of this generation. Yeah. And when I'm saying these things, I'm not saying, so think this way and be positive. I'm saying make room for it. You have every right. Parents, teachers, essential workers, caregivers, anybody listening, college students, you have the right to be sad right now. I am too. The both and is you can be sad, 
and also realize that there might be other things happening right now that we don't fully understand. And there is that is uncomfortable because we love to understand. And by the way, I got this from uh, all those things I read to you. I would love to say that I wrote all those down, but it was a post that a friend put up. And so I just read some of those things. Um, But it doesn't say who wrote it. So I'm sorry, I can't give full credit. So the last thing I'll say about ambiguous loss is just having that word for yourself, everybody, that this is an ambiguous loss uh, or those two words. So when you're like, I should feel better or I should feel worse or why do I feel bad today and good tomorrow? It's because you're in the middle of ambiguous loss. Mm-hmm. If that's and, and is that okay? And do you know that you're not alone? Because we're all going through it. Um, you know, uh, we have some friends on uh, Team Zen who are from New Zealand, and I just read that they have this under control, um, that COVID is a non-issue in New Zealand, or I'm sure it's an issue, but it's like not even close to what we're experiencing. I, I don't think they have any cases right now. Um, which, and, is, which is crazy and awesome. Yes, and I'm so thrilled for them. Um, so they may be, you know, our friends who are listening, they may have a different experience. And I know other countries um, are not having the experience of the United States, uh, which gives me a lot of anger because it lets me know those kind of things what tell me be. what could have been. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we are where we are. So we have to deal with this moment, right? Yeah. Um, so the last thing I will offer you is this quote, F. Scott Fitzgerald's quote, okay? Learning to hold two opposing ideas in your mind at the same time allows you to move to the middle ground instead of sticking with the extremes. So the whole idea of having the understanding of ambiguous loss is keeping you in this middle ground rather than going to the place of blaming one person, forcing a certain group to go back to work so your life can be better, um, you know, deciding that this is all bad and we're all, you know, going to be destroyed. Yeah. Um, there is a place in the middle where we can ex- we can live and that it takes practice. Isn't there a song, Meet You in the Middle? Oh, my God. That song by... Uh, I feel like it's a song our Marin, daughters liked. Marin, Marin Morris, The Middle. It's called... Do you remember it was on all the time, like last summer or two summers ago? Can you sing it for me? Why don't you just meet me in the middle? Who sings it? Marin Morris. How do you know that? I just know things like that. Just keeps it's stuck in my head. I can't come up with other words, but I can come up with that. I love the beginning of it. Do you? Uh huh. Well, this is a music video, so I don't know when she's going to start singing. Believe. Oh, you didn't do the beginning of it. All right, here we go. Take a seat. Right over there, sat on the stairs, stay or leave. The cabinets are bare and I'm unaware of just how we got into this mess Got so aggressive, I know we meant all good intentions So pull me closer, why don't you pull me close? Why don't you come on over? I can't just let you go Oh baby, why don't you just meet me in the middle? Yikes you don't like this? Oh my God, I love this song. It's not that I don't like it. It's that I used to scan the radio with my daughters, and it would be on every two right. seconds. This I will give you. It was one of those um, songs. This I will give you. There's another. Um, there's a quote by Rumi. Um, meet me there. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to find it. Um, oh, out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. Love it. Right. That's Rumi. 
He knows what he was talking about. Uh, yeah, 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 um, yeah. Before we get into the second part, which is okay. respectful and dignified discourse, yep, yep. Um, I want to mention one of our partners this week is Care.com. They're the world's largest online destination for finding and managing family care. Helps millions of families find high-quality care for their children, aging loved ones, homes, and pets. And I think you just had an experience I did. With I them. just spent like hours on on care.com uh, about a week ago, and it's a fantastic site. Like they, the simplicity of it and like knowing everybody's like, you know, qualifications and where they live and, you know, their hours. It's just very, I was looking for it for caregiving for elderly, mm-hmm. um, but I know people use it for nannies, um, nannies. Exactly. So I can now personally say I've used it. And we have a premium membership and you should get one too. So to save 30% off a care.com premium membership, visit care.com slash Zen, or you can use promo code Zen. We'll see you over there. All right. So, I, you know, we're starting with a transformation in our thinking, which is accepting the ambiguity of this loss that we're experiencing. And the next thing I want to talk about is something that is one of our our missions for Zen parenting that I think needs to be reiterated at this time of discomfort, which is the practice of reflective and respectful discourse and ensuring the dignity of all people. I know it can be really difficult um, in the middle of something like school negotiations or, you know, your child going back to school or, you know, how the school is upholding your child's IEP or whether or not the school is going fully remote. I get the fact that it affects you personally and that you're trying to figure out your own work experience and you're trying to figure out, you know, how you're going to manage this upcoming year. But I think if I've been reading online correctly, um, parents are forgetting that their children are a part of this experience and they're watching it and they're watching the way we're talking about the school and the teachers and they're, they're being put in the middle of something that as adults, um, we need to practice understanding everybody's perspective and remembering that no matter who we're talking about, if it be a superintendent or a teacher or a parent or a child, that everybody deserves dignity. And I know that we love to throw around blame and say, my life would be just fine if it wasn't for this one person. But I'm telling you, something that I notice, and I know many of you notice this too, is a lot of the problems we're having start way, 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 way up high. I'm talking like federal government high. And somehow we always end up blaming teachers, minorities, um, people who don't have money, poor. Um, We end up blaming the people who are not the people who created the problem. So have you seen some of this discourse online? Of course. I and and I see and I'm not saying that in regards to the school that that's where groups that are oppressed are being blamed. I just see that with other political issues. Sure. These decisions that are made at the top top top, we end up just like looking down and saying you people are the ones who are making my life difficult as if teachers are supposed to come in and save us all from this pandemic. And they're the ones who are supposed to normalize everything for us. And the thing that, that I get frustrated about when it comes to the school. And again, I'm speaking from experience on both sides, meaning that I was a teacher in a school and I was also a social worker and a clinician who went into the schools to help kids with their IEPs. Mm -hmm. So I've worked on both sides of this. 
But the thing that I have seen over time with the schools that I know all of you have seen, and it's probably it's been kind of set this way for a long time, is it just shines a light on all the issues that we have in our community that we're not dealing with. The fact that teachers are expected to be the educators, which is, I can say from my my training, you know, my undergrad was in elementary education. I was trained to educate kids. Mm. That's what I went to school for. You didn't have a whole bunch of social work classes in your education? No. And then when I became a teacher, I realized that when you're a teacher, you're actually a social worker. So I, I eventually went back to school to become a social worker and went a different direction. But there, it, I mean, I still teach. But what I mean is that I realized that really teachers are taught to educate, but then they have to be social workers. You know what else they need to do? Because we know this from the pandemic, feed kids. Mm. When the schools closed, there were kids who were not being fed, like families who depended on the schools to feed their children, you know, and that shines a light on that that's a bigger problem, right? That we're looking at schools to do that. Not only that, we're expecting the, the, you know, teachers to handle all the bullying situations, all the friendship situations, all the situations the parents are having with their kids. Um, we're expecting the, the, um, teachers to be the encouragers, the, the heroes, the mentors, the ones who give the kids love, you know, the ones who then the kids go home feeling cared, you know, they feel cared about. They need to be the experts at every single kid's needs. And don't forget, they have to deal with principals. They have to then deal with the bureaucracy, bureaucracy of the school system. They have no money. They're not being, and I know some of you, when I see people say, well, parents or teachers are getting paid enough. There is a ceiling to being a teacher. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you've been a teacher your whole life, I hope you're getting paid a you know pretty good salary. But there's so many people that have such an opinion about teachers' pay, and I don't know if anyone's looking at your pay and saying, actually, you don't deserve that as a human being. And here we have teachers doing all of this, the work that is the foundation of our society the emotional intelligence and IQ of our children. Because you may say, no, they're just doing the IQ. That is not true. Mm -hmm. Parents are focusing, or excuse me, um, teachers are focusing or being forced to focus just as much on the emotional intelligence of our kids. Do they have the time and space for it? Is it built into the day? No, but they have to figure it out. And so- Oh, and by the way- Yes. um, You got to figure out how to educate through a TV screen now. Right. And- your health might be compromised because there's a lot of people that you're in direct contact with. So, and I want to get to that in a second about remembering, this is the dignity piece, everybody. Teachers, with all those things they're expected to do, that, I and I have to say this, even though I think it gets said a lot online, and I'm not saying this to be snarky, Todd can relate because he's. I've said this to him and then he's had the experience of teaching and then come back and been like, whoa, if you have not taught a classroom, you don't know the experience of a teacher. And you don't know what it's like to have 25 or 30 kids who need you at the same time. You don't know what it's like to organize a lesson plan for individual kids and kids who have IEPs. You don't know what it's like to focus on discipline as much as you focus on education. And you don't know what it's like to not have money for supplies that you're expected to have. So I'm saying that not to be like, pointing a finger and yelling at you, I'm saying it as a matter of fact. When when parents come in and say, this is what a teacher should do, a teacher should have just done this, if a teacher would have done this, this wouldn't have happened. A teacher is a human being doing the best they can 
with 25 other human beings and everything doesn't go perfect or 30 or 32 or 14, it doesn't matter the amount. It is, should not be up to that one person to make that child's life. And not, not to mention, um, all these other things we've talked about. Teachers have also become childcare, right? Because this experience we're having where kids stayed home became a huge childcare issue. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand that. I'm not saying that's bad or that we should feel bad, but a lot of people are mad, people I've talked to in my own town, because their life experience or their work or their day is being hindered by the fact that their kid is home and they want a teacher taking care of their kid during that time. And while I get that, I have three kids, I know that need. Do you also understand that the the teacher is a human being who has children a lot of the time, maybe not all the time, who may be caring for their elderly parents, who may have their own, um, you know, compromised immune system, who has their own life experience. So they're just like you. So it's like this thing we look at teachers and say, they're the solution. And if they're scared to go back to work, they're the problem. But are you worried about going out? Because I sure am. I don't see teachers in any different light than myself. Right. You know, I used to tell you stories about how I used to volunteer in our girls' kindergarten class. And I would be sitting at a table with three other kindergartners. And by the end of the 40 minutes, I was ready to pull all of my hairs out of my head. Correct. I can only imagine what it's like for a teacher to have to do that every day, Monday through Friday, for however many weeks out of the year. Like it's, I don't know how they do it. And the people who decide to become teachers want to be teachers. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not looking for us to like bow down to them. They want, they're good at what they do. You know, they, they are, they're skilled in an area that allow them to have the livelihood that they have. But what I'm asking for people to remember is again, reflective means self-aware and respectful discourse, conversation with with teachers and and administrators and superintendent well superintendents are administrators but and remembering their dignity and that they should not be put in the position to be our saviors in every aspect of this pandemic. Yeah. I understand especially in my own community there's a lot of discomfort and a lot of shifting and and things maybe that people feel should have been done in a more timely manner. I understand the need for feeling that there is some sort of like uh, responsibility or that we can obviously always speak up and say, that's not enough information. We'd need more. But how are you doing that? But how are you doing that? And how are your children watching you do this? How are they going through this experience? Are you teaching your children about ambiguous loss? And again, until this podcast, you may not have that language, but that this is an uncertain time and we're going to do our best to manage in this uncertain time rather than say, Teachers and administrators need to have their act together completely in this uncertain time to make my life feel normal again. That's an unfair expectation. Yeah. Is it possible that we can work with the schools to create something and be patient and um, and have a sense of continuing to come up to show up to the table and say, these are what my needs are? Of course you can. And as a parent, I'm not saying step back and don't do anything. What I'm saying is be Remember who you're talking with, be respectful within that conversation, and remember that it's not their fault that this is happening. This is a, everybody's businesses are renegotiating their business plan. 
restaurants are renegotiating how they serve food. Schools are renegotiating how they teach. And many people will say, well, they had all summer. They didn't really. They're still in the midst of this craziness of figuring out the end of the year, figuring out what teachers they have. They're, they have a busy summer without a pandemic. Yeah, It's not as if teachers went home and put their feet up and said, "Woo, now I'm done for three months. The work continues. And the the changing and the shifting and the expectation continues. And I'm right there with you, everybody. I have a daughter who's a senior this year. I have a sophomore and I have a seventh grader. It's not great for us either, you know, the the uncertainty. But I don't feel that it's offensive to me personally. I feel that as a community, we're going through something and we've got to figure out the best way. Well, and I think what you said that was most important is it's not about having a different viewpoint or disagreeing with what is said, it's how you're doing it. Correct. And so you can keep speaking up about your child's needs, especially if you don't feel like you're being heard. But just remember the dignity of everybody Mm -hmm. and that everybody is doing their best and that this, this pandemic being feeling normal isn't about whether or not the teachers do what you want them to do. Yeah. This is not going to be, this is an ambiguous loss time and teachers are just one piece of the equation. And we're going to have to keep on, uh, we're going to have to keep on pivoting and adjusting right. every week that goes by. Like this, you know, last six weeks have been, there's been a different story about what's going to happen this fall. Correct. We don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. And, you know, for that, for that, I, you know, want to talk more about, you know, the parents and that I feel everything you're feeling and, and it's been a struggle and it's scary and I don't know what to tell my kids. And, and so what I'm teaching them instead of teaching them who to be mad at, I'm teaching them how uncertainty is part of life and that they are going to be okay because things are going to be learned. The things that they miss, there will be things that will be learned. It's just the trade-off of life. And that there are days when they're struggling with it, and I do my best to show up for them and to listen and not feel like I need to solve it. Well, and I feel like it's, um, you know, if we want our kids to manage this well, the only way for that to happen is for us to model us managing it well. Correct. Or managing it in a emotionally intelligent way, yeah. which means we may have days that we cry or get sure. frustrated. You don't have to pretend you're fine. It, when Todd says, well, I know what he means, but I wanted to reiterate that because you don't have to hide feelings. No, actually, that's good modeling. Yeah. I'm sad right now. Yeah. I'm angry right now. Right. I'm afraid right now. Right. I'm happy right now. Correct. Ooh, this is working out right yeah. now. Right. So, you know, I, I feel like we just get so bogged down as parents to... um just teach our kids without trying to teach ourselves. Right. Like we're trying to like think of the lesson to bestow upon our children and we're forgetting about our own triggers or our own challenges. And we just disregard those or bury them or push them aside um, because we need to do what we think is right for our kids. What we need to do right for our kids is deal with this in as healthy of a way as we possibly can. Well, we keep saying our kids need to go to school so they can learn. They're learning right now. They're learning by watching. They're learning by realizing what's going on in the world. They're learning by the discomfort. They're not ever not learning. School is just a place where they go and read books and, you know, have group, you know, experiences and hopefully make connections with teachers. And School is vital and valuable, but it's not the only place they learn. No. 
You know, it's a little like, I don't know if this is a good analogy or not, but we get very focused on going into a church Mm -hmm. to be spiritual. And that's a great place to go be spiritual. And everybody is there for the same reason. But you can be spiritual every second of the day. Yeah. You can be, you can take what you learn in your religion or in your innate spirituality and practice that on a daily basis. Well, for me, that's the test. It's not the 60 minutes you spend at church on Sunday or the 10 minutes you spend on your meditation cushion, cushion every day. It's how are you doing it? On the other, in the other moments of your life. Correct. It's easy to be spiritual at church. It's easy to be mindful. Actually, it's not easy to be mindful during meditation. Mm-hmm. I struggle with that, but it's easier. But can you be mindful when somebody cuts you off? Can you be mindful when somebody, um, you know, throws... Throws you a uh, curveball. Yeah, I was going to say throws shade, but I feel like I'm too old to use that <laughs> term. Because isn't that Taylor Swift video? Well, Throwing shade? What is shade? Yeah, but it's not like from Taylor Swift. I know, but that's where the first time I heard that. Oh, really? Has shade been around yeah. forever? At, well, I don't know forever, but it's Do you remember using shade oh, no. as an adjective not when we were us. younger? No, no, I'm too old for that. What year did shade show up oh, as a word? I don't know. That's my question to Zen Parenting listeners. Okay. So can you be mindful when somebody's pissing you off? Right. That's That's the tricky part. Right. When everything is good and happy and loving and kumbaya, yeah, I can be I can be present. Can you be present next time somebody says something insulting towards you? Right. Can you meet that with I was going to say love and compassion, but just dignity and respect. And that's the thing about dignity and respect is you're giving it to other people and also to yourself. It's something that we are being forced to practice right now is, uh, you know, personally, I am having to figure out what self-care looks like in this time and that I don't say no, no self-care, only, you know, craziness and chaos. No, I refuse to do that because you can't show up for the uncertainty and the ambiguous loss if you're completely empty. And I've had to figure out how to manage that. And that's not, I don't have like a rhythm or a flow to that now because there is no rhythm or flow. It's like I have to do it on kind of a daily basis of what can I do now? You know, even things like, you know, conversations or or meeting people or, um, you know, showing up for certain things. Like normally there are certain things that I would have been like, I will absolutely not miss that. And then now I'm like, I may have to if I've spent the whole day doing something completely different. We and, you know, as far and same with work. Everybody listening to this has a different story and and some are experiencing a lot more than others. And there is no way to tell everybody, oh, your experience will be fine or you'll be okay. I don't have that kind of knowledge, but there is a place that we can hold this uncertainty and know that we're only able to do things day by day. That looking and saying by January we'll be fine or hopefully by September 1st all the schools will know what they're doing. We we can't depend on that. No. But we can just do today. Just do right now. So Take care of yourself too. You know, I know I just got really focused on respecting the teachers, which is super important to me because I, I, I'm personal experience and professional experience and just reminding myself. But I also, this dignity and this respect, you give it to yourself as well. And you remember what you need. So I feel like the third one we already talked about. Well, I just need to go over a few things because there was a um, a few teachers who emailed me and they wanted to make sure I spoke to a few things. Oh, okay. We're not going to solve them, but I want to be able to say these things so people consider them. Okay. okay? And I'm going to go, there was a teacher in California who sent me, um, I'm not going to use names just to. Just use your first name because um, there's a lot of teachers with that first name. You know what? I didn't uh, write it down. Can oh. you look at the email? Sure. Um, but she said, here's a few things that are causing hurt. Okay. 
looking at teachers as heroes. And she said, yes, we can be helpful when supported and when the world is not in crisis, but we cannot hero a way out of this for every person or every student, family, ourselves, and our own families. So I think she's just trying to say that, yes, we want to be heroes and we like that idea. And we think of ourselves as being helpful, but to, you know, to look at us as being the ones who are going to save everybody right now, we also have to consider our own needs, right? Understood. She, the next thing she says is blizzard of assumptions. So this is, I've kind of already spoken to this, but I'm going to use her language. So many people have this generic idea of what a teacher is, what tech we have, you know, if we have an extra room in our homes, if we can convert into a home office, that we're not at risk, that we should be showing up for work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that parents are asking for extra support or do this for my kid. Um, and you know, these are assumptions that people are making about what teachers can or should be able to do without really knowing that individual teacher's experience. Just because you're a teacher doesn't mean you have the same access as the next teacher mm-hmm. um, or that you have the same um, experience or same health risks. Yeah. You know, I, it's funny because a lot of the people I've talked to in town, whatever the person needs is what they think about teachers. So what I mean is like, if the person's like, like I, there's some people in our neighborhood who decided to keep their kids home and they're going to do some creative kind of like pod work, mm-hmm. you know, um, you, you know, working with other families and, and they're going to do that kind of more remote learning thing. And they're like, yeah, you know, so they're, that works for them. But the parents who are like, no, I got to send my kid to school. They got to go to school. They're the ones whose expectations of the teachers are like, they have to be there for my kids. Right. Which I understand that. It's not that I don't understand it. It's that we really think teachers should be thinking the way we're thinking. Yeah. And little do do most or do a lot of parents know that there's 25 other kids in the classroom whose parents are asking their teachers the same the thing. The exact same thing. And so- uh, Even though they have different needs. Correct. Every kid has different needs, you know, Um, logistics. um, And she said this specifically, it's cool to see so many people finding inventive new ideas to reimagine how to teach in line, you know, online or in person or outside or hybrid or pod or whatever. But when we make them, when we, when we start to have to do this within the constraints that we have as teachers, some of the reality of these ideas start to crumble. Like for, as an example, she said, the idea of moving classes out to the yard means the kids have to listen over trains, highways, city noises, deal with heat, mosquitoes. And then that's not easy. Mm-hmm. Like as soon as people are like, that's the solution, other things creep up that are like- Every solution creates potential challenges. What if it rains? Yeah. What if, you know, like there's so many things. And and I think because people don't like uncertainty, they'll say, they'll say that's the solution. And if everyone would just stick to it, we'd be fine. But there's ambiguity in those two. And then the last one, um, that the schoolhouse is the most important place to be. Okay. And she says, this teacher says, people often hold this belief, especially now that in-person school is the best for everybody, but it is not. And glorifying how much schools take care of kids um, is kind of dismissive um, to the great number of students who experience verbal abuse at school, racism, Mm. sexism, anti-LGBTQ plus language and behaviors, injustice, hunger, unmet academic needs, and bullying every day. Meaning- School is not a haven for all kids. Right. And the idea that we're like, that's where kids belong and they're happy there is forgetting all the issues we were dealing with a year ago. Well, and I had a good school experience and there's times where I was terrified to go to school. Correct. Like, and, and I had a pretty relatively positive experience, right. but 
School sometimes blows, right. like the social part of it, the the lunch rooms, the cafeterias, the hallways. Like, there's so many parts about school that kind of like you know, there's kids out there that love remote learning. Right. 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 They're just wired that way. Yes. Like, sweet. Exactly. Sign me up. And they have had a good experience. And for those of you who are like, but my kid couldn't do it or didn't like it, understood. This is the ambiguity again. This is there is no one size fits all. There is no one size fits all teacher. There is no one size fits all, you know, administration or community. There's no right way. There's no, we're trying to, you know, juggle so many balls right now Mm -hmm. that. The idea that one person is to blame is just not fair. And so when people look at me and they say, well, then what do we do, Kathy? I say, I I don't don't know. know. But what I do know is that we can live in this uncertainty and figure out a way every day. We can figure out, okay, this is the plan for now. I mean, it's something I've been telling my girls all summer whenever, you know, people are constantly asking me, what are your girls going to do this year? We're just going day by day here. And we're kind of figuring out how to make this work within Todd and my work and within our girls' age and their social life and their, you know, their activities that they used to do. Like, we're just and, – and it's uncomfortable. But we have the capacity to expand. And we have the capacity to see this in a different light. And – um you know, I just hope that maybe after listening to this, we can at least view this. The whole point of this podcast is not to give you guys answers. Perspective. It's to give perspective and a reframe, which is all Todd and I really ever do on this show. Reframe. Like, how can you look at this from a different way? And, um, you know, bottom line, respect, reflect on yourself, treat people with dignity. Um and remember that we're all going through an ambiguous loss together and that this isn't the first time in history. I'm not even just talking about a pandemic, but we've gone through lots of things and we've all learned to adapt and cr- be creative and move forward and um, embrace it all. That's right. So um, that's it, Taddy. All right, my darling. Um, so as we close out, I want to give a shout out to uh, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald head of beauty, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. 630-956-1800. I also coach guys virtually one-on-one. So if you're interested, any guys out there um, need some support, go to toddadamscoaching.com. And then uh, Zen Talk today at noon. If you guys are interested, go to our website, zenparentingradio.com. Anything else? That's it. Take care of yourselves, everybody. Keep trucking. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Also subscribe and review our Pop Culturing Podcast, a Gen X viewpoint on movies and TV with an emphasis on personal growth and self-awareness. It's basically the flip side of Zen Parenting Radio. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen Talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen Talks through the Team Zen podcast app. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. 
Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald head of beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give them a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.